0: Father, I want to pray in the words of a poem that I learned from Glenn Kuhn. Please make me a nail upon the wall. Fasten securely in its place, and from this thing so common and so small, hang a bright picture of thy face. In Jesus' name, amen. The heart of a mother you know, Mother's Day is tomorrow and I was actually planning to share a totally different sermon and then the Lord brought to mind that we should think about mothers. So I've been thinking a lot about being a mother, about what that means. Parenting, taking care of our children, the blessings, the mistakes. Too many mistakes, I think. You know, when I was growing up, I never wanted to have children. And... Um, Because of the home that I grew up in, it was hard for me to think about having children. I inherited a a really bad temper, and um, I say sometimes that my family's communication style was yelling, so that might give you a little bit of a clue as to how I thought that I would parent my children. I was also focused on my career, And um, I just wanted to do the best I could at what I knew how to do. But God changed my heart over time. He started teaching me how to have a personal walk with Him. And He started showing me that I could have victory over my temper. With Him living in me, I could see that victory. So John and I were married for about four years, and we talked about having children, and we decided to wait another four years, And after the second four years, he'd been converted, and it seemed like the time was right. It also could have had something to do with the water at 3ABN, since four of us ended up pregnant at the same time. But, you know, I don't put much stock in that. But one thing I've learned having been a mother is that it really exposes your selfishness, and it exposes your character defects as well. When we had James, it was a powerful experience. Taking care of him became a huge focus in my life, and I could never imagine forgetting him for a second. I was really tempted to get some of the baby pictures and video out, but I had passion on my dearest son. I want to start with the first section of our text for this morning, Isaiah 49 and verse 15. Can a woman forget her sucking child? That she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? We think of a mother; we think that they should protect, guard, teach. But we don't think about them forgetting, do we? When James was 15, right after he finished high school—I mean, eighth grade—between high school and. Um, and eighth grade, he decided to take a gap year and go to Thailand. And um, you know, some people have criticized me pretty severely for allowing my 15-year-old son to go to the other side of the world by himself. But we knew that it was what God was asking for James, and so I could have comfort in that. He got really, really homesick while he was there. You see, we raised our kids to know that because. Daddy traveled without us so many times and because we traveled to the other side of the world so many times that wherever we were together, then we were home. Home was togetherness. But James was on the other side of the world and he was by himself. And so he became very homesick. And it was in December, nearly Christmas time, and he was really, really wanting to come home for Christmas. He was begging to come home for Christmas and praying about it and praying about it. We really couldn't afford it, but we would have if God had made it clear that we were supposed to, but God didn't. In fact, God told us he was supposed to stay there. Imagine how hard that was as a mother to say, I'm sorry, but you have to stay. And so he was calling us every morning and every evening because he was so homesick almost every day. But then he he talked with a friend of his And his friend said to him, You know, James, your family is your home. It's always been your home. But now you need to find Jesus to be your home. You need to find your home in him. And once James thought about that and started seeking God for himself, he started to find God as his home. And he stopped calling so often because he was he was recognizing that home in God Himself. One time when we were in Thailand, we met these young ladies, and um, they were sharing with us how when their friends would go somewhere or their family would go somewhere, because they're very close-knit families, relationships are everything in Asia, and these girls would say to each other, Oh, my heart, where did you go? <laughs> made me think of a mother's heart. Last fall, Mary Ann went to school at Weimar Academy. God made it clear that she was supposed to go there. and. Um, When I went and I dropped her off, that was what came to mind. Oh, my heart, where did you go? And I'm on the other side of the country from her most of the school year, and she gets sick, and I can't do anything but encourage her to try to take care of herself and ask for help from the people there. It's hard being so, so far away from our kids, but we don't forget them, do we? Sometimes. I have a friend named Eden, And she has a lot of scarring on her neck, and her shoulders, and her hands, her arms, because they had a house fire, and her baby was on the other side. And so sometimes mothers go through the fire for their children. But unfortunately, not all mothers are like this. Many different places in Asia, if the mother needs to go somewhere and get a job, she leaves her children behind. If she's going to get remarried, many times the new man will not accept the children from the previous husband. And so she leaves them somewhere, sometimes with family, sometimes with friends, sometimes with no one to care for them. The first time I went to Asia, we went to Myanmar, and there we met at an orphanage, two young men. They were probably four and five or five and six when they were found in the jungle, completely alone. They were named James and John, the sons of Zebedee, by the people that found them. It always brings me amusement to think about that. Sometimes we, as mothers, fail to have compassion on our children because we resent them, or we don't want them, or we get angry with them. Some mothers don't have the character, the personality, or sometimes even the mental capacity to properly care for their children. Sometimes we just don't help our children when they need our help. In the Bible, in John chapter 9, verse 1, begins a story about a blind man that came asking for healing. And Jesus healed him. He was the one that was told to go and wash in the pool of Siloam. And then he went to see the priests, and they wouldn't believe him. And so they called his parents. And we all know the story. It's a sad story, isn't it? Because the parents said, Ask him, he's old enough? Because they were afraid to be thrown out of the synagogue. So it's possible for human, human mothers to forget their children in various ways, to fail to have compassion upon our children. I believe that the only way that we can truly have compassion on our children and truly remember them is by the grace of God. I wanted to share, my friend Karen Lunby is uh, going through a situation, a health situation right now that she shouldn't have to be going through because she went through it once already and it was supposed to be done. But she shared a recent post. She has has three children of her own and two adopted daughters and this post is about her adopted daughters and I think it just gives a glimpse into the heart of God that's really precious to me. Each day is a gift. When God gave me the gift of Callie and then followed it with the gift of Emmy, they were more than just gifts of two amazing, smart, compassionate little people that I was blessed enough to call my own, to mother, to mold, to hold. They were gifts of two bold promises from God, promises that he would embrace them, fill them, mold them, speak to them, and grow them for his service but also promises that he would empower me to hold them, mold them, and grow them for his service, that he would finish in me what he started, that he would, as long as I choose to cooperate, hold me, mold me, and use me for his service to them and in them. I am claiming those promises. This week, Callie has said to me more than once, Mom, you are so beautiful. I love you so much. I am so sorry you have to go through this each time touching my face and giving me the same smile of utter love and compassion that she did when she was three. Emmy, quieter and more introspective, will just crawl up in my lap on the arm of my chair and carefully lay her head on my shoulder and say, I love you so much, Mommy. And then she will read to me, oh, the love of our Heavenly Father. His ways are everlasting and beyond comprehension, and I am so grateful he has taught me that each day is a gift. Each moment partnering with him in all he gives me. Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in me will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. If we look at the rest of Isaiah 49, 15, God steps in and tells us about himself. Yea, they may forget, yet will I not forget thee. Only God has the ability to not forget his children. His love is amazing. A friend recently shared this thought with me about the love of God and the love of a mother. A mother bonds with the baby she carries inside her in a way that the father cannot understand. He cannot understand this bond until the baby is born. He can love the baby before it is born, but he doesn't really bond with it until afterward. And no matter what happens, No matter what pain we cause, mothers always love the children, as long as God is living in the mother. We are God's children, and no matter what happens, no matter what pain we cause, He still loves us. He might want a difference for us, major changes even, but He still loves us. With God, it is a stronger love, because we're not just children, we're also His creation. The bond that God has with us is so precious, and yet we're like the Father, we can't begin to understand it. He gave his only begotten Son. Isaiah 49, 16, he says, Behold, I have graven thee upon the palms of my hands. Thy walls are continually before me. We're written on the palms of his hands. Your hands are always with you, Many times a day you see your hands. You use them. His hands are always with him. He has written us in the palms of his hands so that we are always with him. He carries us everywhere he goes. He has us, a constant reminder of us in front of him. This this concept of being constantly with God brings to mind a picture that God keeps opening in my mind further and further. It's a picture that I like to term God's reality. See, we look around us and we see the way we live and those around us live, and we think that this is reality. But God's reality is actually quite different. God sees every single person in this world all the time. He sees the ones that live in the hobbles. He sees the ones that live in the mansions. He sees every circumstance of every single life. And when we look at his reality and we see what he's willing to do to save for eternity, we see the life and the death of Christ. We see that we are written on his poems. Psalm 27, verse 10 shares another perspective. My, my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Psalm 68, verse 5. He is a father of the fatherless and a judge of widows as God in his holy habitation. James chapter 1, verse 27. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Isaiah 54, verse 5, For thy maker is thy husband, the God of the whole earth, it says later. There are many physically fatherless and physically widowed in this world today, yet how many are spiritually fatherless and spiritually widowed? As I was looking through Isaiah 49, I saw distinctly God's longing for the lost. And I want to focus on the the ways that he speaks upon his longing for the Gentile. Isaiah 49, verse 6. And he said, "It It is a light thing that thou shouldst be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved of Israel. I will also give thee For a light to the Gentiles, that thou mayest be my salvation unto the ends of the earth. Paul and Barnabas actually quoted this in Acts chapter 13, verse 47. For so hath the Lord commanded us, saying, I have set thee to be a light to the Gentiles, that thou shouldst be for salvation unto the ends of the earth. And verse 48, And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord, and as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. I want to focus on this in just a moment here, that the Gentiles were glad, and many lives were changed. Isaiah 42, verse 6, I, the Lord, have called thee in righteousness, and will hold thy hand, and will keep thee, and give thee for a covenant of the people, for a light to the Gentiles, to open the blind eyes, to bring out the prisoners from the prison. And, to, and them that sit in darkness out of the prison house. Isaiah 49, verse 8. Thus saith the Lord, in an acceptable time have I heard thee, and in a day of salvation have I helped thee, and I will preserve thee, and give thee for a covenant of the people to establish the earth, to cause to inherit the desolate heritages, that thou mayest say to the prisoners, go forth, to them that are in darkness, show yourself. They shall feed in the ways, and their pastures shall be in high places. They shall not hunger nor thirst, neither shall the heat nor sun smite them. For he that hath mercy on them shall lead them, even by the springs of water shall he guide them. We've been reading a story of Hudson Taylor at home for some of our worship times, and, and he quotes a lot this text about not hungering and thirsting, and he talks about finding our food and our drink in Christ. And I think that's so beautiful. Isaiah 58, verse 6, Is not this the fast that I have chosen, to loose the bands of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, and to let the oppressed go free, and that ye break every yoke? Is it not to deal thy bread to the hungry, and that thou bring the poor that are cast out to thy house, and when thou seest the naked, that thou cover him, and that thou hide not thyself? From thine own flesh. God has given us the privilege of taking Jesus, the light of the world, to the Gentiles all around us. He speaks of them in the last verse as our own flesh. He asks us to have compassion on them as he does. This song has been playing in my head since yesterday. I don't know if you've heard it. Um, One of the key phrases in it is, Lord, please move me with compassion for the lost. And another is melt my calloused heart with love, no matter what the cost. I have been privileged in that he has given me children in other lands as well. We've been privileged to meet our brothers and sisters there. I shared about the two little boys in Burma at the orphanage there. We spent a week there in 1998. And yet, it was like we had a whole new family. And a few years ago when The pastor that we, he was a retired pastor at the time, the pastor that we met there, when he passed away, it was like my own grandfather passed away because he was family. That's what God's love does. It gives us family across the entire world, and it enables us to remember them. We've seen that God remembers them no matter where they are or how far they are or what their lives are like. In one of the texts I read, it talked about reaching the prisoners. So I wanted to share a story of a prisoner's life changed. His name is Benny. He went to a drinking party once, and this guy gave him a gun, which was supposedly not loaded, and said, shoot me, shoot me. And Benny refused, of course, but the guy kept doing it. And as they drank more, Benny finally gave in. And so he shot the man, but it was loaded, and the man died. He was arrested, and then he told the police, I did it, I did it. He never tried to cover it up or blame it on the man that died. So he went to prison, and while he was in the local prison there, he met our Bible workers. And they told him about Jesus, and he was so thankful and so joyful to know Jesus. Jesus changed his life, and he was able to be baptized while in the prison. And then Benny asked everyone to pray because he had to go for sentencing. And he asked for God's will to be done, and he said, I did kill that man, and so if I am sentenced to life in prison, whatever it is, I know that I deserve it because I did kill that man. And so he was sentenced to life in prison, and he was taken to a maximum-security prison in Manila. But you know, he was thankful, because now he has a life sentence where he can share Jesus behind the prison walls. I wanted to share the story, part of a story, about one of our Bible workers in India. Her name is Mary, and this is a story that's been going on for over 11 years, so I can't tell you the whole story this morning, of course. Um, We just did a JFA Now show with Christina Adams, who some of you might know about this. So it will be coming out if you're interested. You can hear more of the story as it goes on. Mary and her husband, her husband's a pastor. They were given a church in a village. And um, when they started going to that church, there were two families attending. It was them and one other family. And they did all sorts of outreach in the village. They tried giving out things and they tried you know, all sorts of outreach ministry. But no one came to their church. There's another Christian church in the village and everyone was content with their church. They didn't see any reason to change. They were thankful for the help that they received, but they didn't see any reason to change. So Mary and her husband decided that something had to change and maybe it was them. So they started to pray and they cried in prayer for these people for this community and for their neighbors. Do we do that? When we're thinking about the ministry that we're going to do or the outreach that we're going to do, do we pray, do we cry in prayer for these people? After they prayed and cried in prayer, one lady came to her and asked if she would come and pray in her home. So she she said yes and arranged that they would pray at her house for 40 days from 5 to 6 in the morning. This meant that Mary and her husband, along with their small children, got up at 4 a.m. so they could be prepared for the day and eat and travel to their home and pray from 5 to 6. After about the 10th the or somewhere between the 10th and 15th day, they started sharing Bible truths before they would pray. At the end of the 40 days of prayer, the woman was baptized. She had accepted all the Bible truth that she knew, and she started sharing with other people. Soon they had 10 people asking for Bible studies. So Mary and her husband opened their home and invited the people to come there for the Bible studies. They fed them breakfast, they fed them lunch, they fed them supper. The people were hungry, they, they studied the Bible all day. And at the end of the day, they said, would you please come and do t- 40 days of prayer in our home? And someone else said, and ours too. And someone else said, and ours too. So she did eight 40 days of prayer with that group. We don't know if they were all concurrent, all back-to-back, we don't know, but that's a lot of prayer, and it shows a lot of dedication. At the end of these nine, these nine 40 days of prayer, there were 12 more people converted. One of the results of all of this prayer and all these conversions was that the pentecostal pastor in the area was very angry because his church members were leaving and so he brought a group of five men with him one time and came to their home there's more to the story god blinded the guy for two months i mean it's just amazing but he came he came with these five men to their home and they came in and he was all angry And they made them sit down and the pastor started sharing Bible truth with them. Gave everybody tracts about the scriptures. And when they left there, the Pentecostal pastor was still angry. But one of the five men kept those tracts. And then he started reading them. And then he started studying the Bible himself. And several years later, he was baptized as well. So God is changing lives. God's love is amazing. We never know, we would think that someone that came to harm the pastor and his wife would be the last one to be converted, but he was one of the first. I wanted to continue the story I started for the children's story this morning in the village named Kimeli. You see, the thing that they were afraid of when the teacher came is, is the spirits and they called it Bukau. And Bukau, they hear it, it sounds like a giant bird. It's a man-eating monster, is what they call it. Well, the teacher, after he'd been there for a little bit, learned to hear the sound of the bukau, and all the people would run screaming to the same hut because they knew if they were together, bukau would not attack them. But if they were by themselves, then he could get them. And the teacher would stay by himself in his hut, and they would call him, come, come, teacher, teacher, so you can be safe. And he says, no, I'm fine, I'm safe here. And he would get out his guitar and he would start to play and sing hymns and pretty soon he got a, he got kind of curious i wonder what would happen if and so he would play and sing and he would walk toward the sound of the bukau and the closer he got soon the bukau would fly over and then they'd hear him way over there and then he'd start walking that direction and pretty soon it would chase the bukau from the village this is one of the reasons the people saw a difference in what the teacher believed They also had a stream they would go to, and um, they believed that this particular place was where the man-eating monster lived, I guess. And so it was a very bad place to go to if you wanted to live. Well, the teacher asked them to show him the stream, and they took him there, the children took him there, and he took along his things for bathing and brushing his teeth. And um, they get there, and he starts brushing his teeth. And then he actually goes in to bathe, and, and the children run home screaming, Teacher is dead! Teacher is dead! But the next morning, they hear the teacher sing. And they say, Teacher's not dead? How does teacher live? And God is making changes. In that church in the village where the chief's son was one of the first ones baptized, his wife goes to church now, the chief's wife goes. And the chief recently told one of the workers there, if I come to the church, everyone will become, will come because I am there, because they will follow me. So I will not come, so they come to learn about God. How many of us are willing to make that sacrifice? The last story I want to share with you is an amazing, amazing story of faith. One of the pastors was preaching on a Sabbath morning and he saw a lady come into the back of the church. And she kind of got down behind the other ladies. See, the ladies sit on this side and the men sit on this side. She kind of got down behind the other ladies like she was hiding, but he could see that she was weeping. And she wept throughout the whole church service, the whole sermon. And afterward, he called her to the front and she didn't want to come, but he insisted. And so she finally came and he could see that she had a swollen leg. She was suffering from elephantiasis. And those of you that are medical in the room probably know that it's incurable. It's caused by some sort of parasite, which they can kill the parasite, but they can't reverse the effects of elephantiasis. So this is incurable. And she also had an open sore that was so big that you could stick your finger inside of it. And the poor lady, it smelled like rotting flesh and it was really miserable. And so he said that they would pray for her right there and then he told her something none of us, I think, would have the, have the courage and the faith to tell her. He told her, next Sabbath, you will testify in this church that you have been healed. And then he went and prayed at her home and one of the things that they do sometimes is they, they pray over water like we pray over the oil before we do an anointing. They pray over the water and they prayed over the, he prayed over the water and then went around throwing it around her house to anoint her house. But he noticed as he walked toward the center of her house, it was a dirt floor. As he walked toward the center of her house, it was like fire. It was like there was a fire there. It was hot. And the closer he came, the hotter it got. And so he told them to go get a shovel and dig right there. And they did. And one of the things that they had learned from the lady, and I forgot to say this earlier, was that she had been a wealthy lady and her family members had been jealous. And so they had hired someone to do a black magic curse on her. And when they dug up the center of her house, they found buried there a coconut and wrapped around the coconut were some holy threads or whatever and some pieces of her hair and whatever else they had put there. And so he told them, take this out, let's take this out and burn it. So they took it out in the yard and burned it. And it didn't smell like burning coconut, it smelled like burning flesh. And so they finished praying in her house, and then he went home. And that night, the lady had a dream. And I don't know the details of the dream, I wish I did. But in her dream, she saw Jesus. And she got up out of her bed. She was so excited. She ran to the pastor's house. And she said, I saw Jesus in my, in my dream. And he said again to her, you will testify of this healing. And she went back home. And the Sabbath morning, the next day, Sabbath, she came to church. And her leg was normal size. And the, and the open wound that you could put your finger in was healed over. And she testified of God's healing power. These are just a few of the lives that God has changed. The many, many things that he has done would take hours to recant, but he can change lives. And it's not just physical lives, it's lives for eternity. And so I'm so thankful to know a God that has written all of us on the palms of his hands, carries all of us with him, all the time even them living in the dirt huts living in the mansions wherever they are he carries all of us on the palms of his hands and he shows us the heart gives us glimpses of that heart that does not forget the heart that he longs to give to all of us whether we are a mother or not shall we pray Oh, Father, we are just amazed by you, and we're humbled that you see fit to work in our lives, and we're humbled that you see fit to let us see the changes that you make in others' lives. Father, on this Sabbath day, we just give ourselves to you. Thank you, in Jesus' name, amen.